Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Diego Maradona. Okay, usually I do a fact file here, but I think we all know who Maradona is. We also all know who Guillaume Balaguer is. He's the author, journalist, and Spanish football expert for Sky, BBC Five Live, so many other places, and he's written a book all about Maradona from the very beginning. So let's see what the book club thought of it in today's Football Book Club. This is the part that I don't think has been told properly, that he was the number one, the first one, at many things. When, when I was crying in front of God, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, I was just, <laughs> yeah, just having a little yeah. gag. And also, you say that Pele recorded an album for children or something. Is that right? It was with a hand, but, you know, it's England, so... <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Football Book Club, the only book club where, instead of literary classics, each week we read yet another footballer's autobiography. Less Seamus Heaney, more Troy Deeney. Mm, it's okay, it's no, good. No one has gone for that one. That is a t- you're a tough sell, Jack. You're a very We're tough running sell. Out. But we are we are running out of good ones. And thank you anyway, old Crabtree. Old Crabtree for sending, <laughs> that, for sending that's that. That's a good in. name. That's a good he should name. Have, he should have sent that name in instead. He should have done. I'm James Bug, and over the weeks we're reading classics such as Luis Suarez's Crossing the Line, an unsung hero, the biography of Paul Robinson. Not the Spurs one, the other one. Uh, but today we have an extra special episode where for a little change, we're not reading an autobiography. Instead, we're reading master journalist, author, and Spanish football expert, Guillaume Balaguer's Maradona, the boy, the rebel, the god, with Jack Bernhardt. Hello. James Balgen. Hello. And welcome to the show, the brilliant Guillaume Balaguer. Hello, Jack, James, James. You've got easy names to remember. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> I was thinking we're all JBs. One that has more than one people, it helps. Yeah, we're all JBs. You're a GB. So, yeah, it kind of works quite That's nicely. That's the rule. That's the rule on the, the podcast, yeah. That's how it oh, gets. Really? JB, JB or GBs, that's yeah. it. Yeah, how are you JB, GBs? Um, <laughs> h- how are you doing today, Guillaume? We've had some trouble uh, chatting to you the last uh, few minutes. I-, I gather that your phone might die any second. Hopefully not, but uh, but it was used uh, yesterday extensively and I forgot to charge it for um, as long as it was required. And, uh, and yes, but I think I-, I do a podcast myself, so I know what it's like. The first... Uh, 15, 20 minutes dedicated to just get the sound right and the positional, in, yeah. in your case, no video, but the positional, the camera minutes. and all those things. It, that's 15, 20 so, minutes yeah. would be good with us. That'd be like, it's yeah. <laughs> really? we're usually 40 <laughs> minutes. Fast, then? I yeah. reckon there's an entire secret podcast we could do, which is just an hour of us going, can you hear me? Is that, <laughs> is that, okay. 
What's 10 plus 10? Say what 10 plus 10 is as quick as possible. <laughs> That'll no, be our content. It'd be fascinating to put together the reactions of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> because I bet some struggle and some just get really nervous and, you know, long list of things. Maybe I, we should I, do this as a podcast. I think it's a good idea. Because- Guillaume, do you remember the um, former Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Paddy Kenny? Yes. I had to teach him how to install Chrome over the phone so that he could <laughs> so he could get oh, onto it. That, that was good content. That was good content. That's about half yeah. an hour of the recording, I would say. I did, a, I did a podcast with a former Real Madrid manager and uh, having spent almost an hour to try to connect him and he was abroad and traveling and whatever, uh, when we were going to start this show and do the introduction that you just done, he went like, but it's over, isn't it? started <laughs> so yeah within an hour haven't we yeah but we haven't recorded anything oh boy. So that was the like exclusive you wanted was how well he could put together a, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah he could, he could connect but to i learned internet. something i've learned something from a uh, from a photographer when i wanted to become a photographer a long time ago uh i went out with him and uh we took pictures and of course he took really artistic pictures and i took what i thought were artistic pictures and then the camera went off it went off on its own so I was taking pictures of my food on the floor of uh, of <laughs> stones and so I, I uh, you know had all the photos together. We print them out and he goes rubbish, 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 rubbish. Those are the ones that I thought they were artistic. And he goes like, oh wow, <laughs> and starts putting together the ones that they were mishit by the camera. And I learned a lesson there. You know, yeah. you think that uh, you program is something, but it may just become something else. So I think we should just finish the pot here. That is, that, is, that is a very <laughs> profound way to, to finish it on. Usually we end it on with a chant that our mates made up about an old footballer. So that's a much more profound ending to our usual ending. To the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll cut that out and save that for later. Um, yeah, you're on because you've written a book, despite being yeah, you know incredibly busy during the pandemic, I'm sure. You've written a book and it's, it's, it's amazing. We love it. Uh, it's called Maradona the Boy, the Rebel, the God, as you mentioned. And the level of the research in the book, my word, we've read books where footballers forget things that happen in their own lives. Like, uh, hmm. I don't want to name names, but Jermaine Pennant Pennant is the one who comes to, to come up to mind when we read his book. Uh, but this, you know, after reading it, I felt like I knew everything about Maradona, everything about Argentina. And also, I feel like I might be semi-fluent in Spanish, having read it as well. Because it's, it's, it, is, it is great, and we can't wait to chat about it with you. We knew Maradona was fascinating, but even I wasn't really prepared for this book. So... Ready, Guillaume? Ready, ready. Can I say in brackets and before you move on into what we're doing next? Uh, Please. It is amazing what you're doing. Uh, you, you, I think you realize, you must have been told many times, the importance of feedback. Once you publish the book, the book works on its own. It's, it's, it's a baby that you know goes in his own journey. Yeah. And to actually be able to stop for a second and get people that have read it, uh, especially if they liked it, obviously, uh, it really is uh, something that uh, I, I personally appreciate. Oh, so well, thank you. Oh, I didn't no think I'd cry this that. early. <laughs> that's really nice. That's, that's not what Darren Huckabee said at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the opposite of what he said to her. But thank you. We, we, we love the book and we can't wait to talk to you about it. So let's go. Okay, so in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the book in more detail. Uh, we're going to be stealing tips from you, Guillaume, if that's okay, on just how you write a biography. And we're going to be getting to know our new friend with a few questions at the end. And we've got a little feature. We've got a little feature idea based on something that you do, Guillaume, on your Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll surprise you with it a little later. But first, now, the book itself. We're talking almost exactly a year to the day since Maradona passed away, very sadly. I'm going to ask a fairly obvious question to kick things off. Um, of course, there was renewed fascination in Diego's story when he died. Not that it ever really went away, but you know what I mean. It was, it was everywhere. 
had you you've been working on this book for a very long time before that though right that's right yeah i think it's a two and a half years project and that's how books work they they give you an idea you start working on it you start traveling and and eventually the, the timing when it comes out is obviously more or less planned too but mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen to to the person and uh in the last fourth of it uh when when he died then, then i had to i have to make it more rounded if you like my mm-hmm. idea was originally to focus on on him as a player because uh i thought that all you need to know about Maradona finishes in 2001 when he says goodbye to football in, in La Bombonera in Boca Juniors Stadium. And having been in a radio show with Dalma Maradona, his, uh, his daughter, uh, she agreed that, uh, that after that, I think it's his private life. Uh, yes, mm. it goes wrong. And yes, he multiplies by 20 what you already know of him. So I didn't want to get involved in that at all. But of course, uh, when he dies, uh, the, 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 the fascinating thing, if that's the word, is that he gets buried by his original girlfriend, wife, mm-hmm. uh, who he separated with. And the people that were in the funeral are mostly the people that were important to him when he was a player. So uh, the, the people that came into his life afterwards, they weren't there. So in, in any way, that kind of confirmed that, that all you need to know about Maradona is, uh, yeah, kind of finishes in 2001. But I had to, of course, make the story... Uh, end as he did too sure and was the book always scheduled to come out when it did this year or was there a, you yeah. didn't have to hurry it up at any point or you were never said like oh it's a it's a good moment for a book as, as cynical as that sounds there was no, no uh, okay no 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 none of that and and in fact as always i wish i had had another year or another six mm. months uh, books never get uh, finished ever mm. and i hate opening up one of my books, because I know that I'm going to find in every page something I should have written different, that if I had another chance to add it something else or whatever. But in any case, um, there was none of that. And in fact, because the pandemic kind of stopped things a little bit, it allowed me to have more time on it during the season, but it would have been a football season than I would, I would normally have. So I normally use the football season to research, to put notes in order, to make certain conversations. And once I've got everything, I dedicate the summer to write it, two mm-hmm. or three months. And then, again, when the season starts, you edit it, etc. So here, everything happened a little bit earlier. And I had uh, yeah, plenty of time to, uh, to finish it off. But still, I know that if I open it, I'll find something I didn't like. That's, uh, I think that goes with the, with the job. I, I think you're right. But still, I, I mean, reading it, I, it's, it's so incredibly in-depth and the level of... Oh, I, it's, it's, I, I don't want to fawn over it too much in front of you, but it, it's, 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 like an, it's like an incredible 300-page essay, and you find out so much not just about Maradona, but I know, Jack, you were really fascinated by how you learned so much about Argentina during the time as well. And Yeah, I sort of was wondering how much that was, because it's really interesting that you're saying like the story ends in 2001, because you kind of get a potted history of Argentina through Maradona's life. You know, was was that just an inevitable thing that happened because Maradona is so tied to Argentina? Or were you sort of thinking you can map Argentina's history through this person's life? A little bit like that, yes. Uh, but if you have a look at other books I've written, it's basically always the same. It's got different different layers. You tell the story of the person, uh, but to explain, I don't know, Messi or Cristiano, you have to talk about Argentina or Portugal. Or in his in the case of, 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 uh, of Cristiano, where he was born in Funchal, with that, you need to you need to explain it to understand better. But mm. then, uh, in the case of Diego as well, politics get mixed with uh, some of his decisions and some of the decisions of the clubs to let them go, let him go. And 
and all that also needed context. And the other layer is uh, is family. Uh, I've always found fascinating to tell the story of of these huge people through the, the those that educated them, uh, or th- those that uh, looked after them or not, uh, as the case may be. And how does it affect their their lives? I don't know. From from Cristiano, um, his dad was was of course a, an alcoholic, and mm-hmm. since he was very early in his twenties having been in, in the Mozambique war and he was absent and his mom was absent as well because she had to work. Uh, and when that happens, nobody's putting limits to, to your dreams and to you want to do. So partly his success, the lack of limits, um, has to do with, with parents. In the case of Maradona, exactly the same as well. At 15, he becomes the head of the family. So the whole structure of the family gets inverted Mm -hmm. and he's at the top at 15 with a lot of responsibilities Mm -hmm. he cannot get it running anymore he has to keep winning because if he doesn't keep winning it affects a lot of people and without that you don't get to understand Diego and uh, a little bit the title is telling you all that the boy Diego always fantasized about going back to you know to Villa Fiorito to to his first team the Los Cebollitas but it was just a fantasy that he had in, in his head but he carried that and him as a kid all his life the rebel, because eventually he became very important and had his own power and authority. And how he used that authority was important to explain the story. That that's also not just football. Mm-hmm. And then the god, the god talks about Argentina. He was not a god, but he was seen, perceived, and created as a god by Argentina. Why you need to tell the story of Argentina? There's there's a bit in the book, sorry, that I've just remembered that talks about him being a god, where there's a a flight that's going on. And there's some turbulence and, and everyone's like, oh, this is dangerous. And then someone gets up and says, don't worry, guys, we're not going to, this plane's not going to crash because God's on the flight. And they point to Diego Maradona and everyone bursts into applause. And it's one of the weirdest stories like, I, I think I've ever heard. <laughs> it tells you a lot, doesn't it? When, uh, when a whole nation or, or people believe that there is a God walking amongst us, you know, why do they think that way? Why do they need to have that such a such a reference? Mm-hmm. And it tells you, you know, about Argentina and how they one day they were told they were going to be the best country in the world mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened. So they need to, on one hand, blame somebody. And that's political crisis after political crisis as a consequence of it. And two, if they have somebody that has conquered the world and has shown that the Argentinians are really special, then they make him even bigger. And that's, of course, Diego. And yeah. many others. Ab- absolutely. And he, um, going back to the religious side, I mean, of course, we know of Maradona, the legends and stuff. But even then, there's, this book is packed with things that I had no idea about. I had no idea there was a church of Maradona. It doesn't surprise me. That sounds like, very quickly, that sounds like a joke that got out of hand. Right, the, the, like, a, the, like the Jedi thing. Like yeah, like, sort of like, let's have a church of Maradona. And then like 10 years down the line, it's a proper religion. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I, I haven't decided yet if it's a joke or not. And I know Interesting. them. I know okay. them very well. Um, yeah. So they kind of, of course, uh, it's a joke. Of course, it's a joke. They tell you, but they also tell you the times when they met him and how they felt, how they felt completely in awe of him, how they cried in front of his eyes, in front of um, in, in front of him, how yeah. uh, they felt completely like in the presence of a of a of a superior being. I'm thinking, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a joke, this thing I, that you just created. Yeah. It, it, it's a bit it's, confusing. When, it, when I was crying in front of God, that was a joke. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> yeah. just having a little yeah. gag. We, we had, I, I remember, the, cause isn't there a thing called dudism when people dress up as the Big Lebowski? Everything, uh, and uh, there's a certain day of the year they all walk around in dressing gowns 
and things. And when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're going that far, I think, I, think, I think it becomes real. I think it was less of a joke. It's not like just fancy dress. That becomes takes it too far. But also, there was like, I, I learned that his feet were so wide, he didn't tie shoelaces or they'd hurt. I didn't know that about him. Um, he used to count his nutmegs in games, just like he used to count goals, which I can see Deli Alley doing these days. I can see that. I can see that being a thing that he would do as well. And That's also, an Argentinian thing, by the way. Is it okay? Uh, it tells you a lot about the culture of Argentina. If a player that has just started his career as a professional counts nutmegs, why is that? And it is because it's a show of art and it's a show of. Um, of, of, of something attractive for the audience mm. because that's what a lot of Argentinians play for. They're very, very good professionals, but at the same time, there is this artistic side to them that they really appreciate. And Nutmex is the, is the perfect, you know, the, the perfect exponent of that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's, there's just millions of these little things that are littered throughout the book. And you learn so, much, so many more things about the, kind of the legend of him behind that. I mean, you couldn't really ask for someone with uh, more source material. I don't think you could do this. You couldn't do this book for a lot of people. Like, so no offense, I don't know, Paul Koncheski, you probably struggled to write a book like this around, around him. However, give me, with... give me a chance. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, 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 get, oh that's, a, that's a promise. That's yeah. a promise right there. <laughs> is that, is that a little sneak preview at your next book? Guillaume? Is it the, uh, no, the hidden no, story but, of Paul uh, Koncheski? <laughs> to, to be honest, you write, you're writing one thing. Uh, Maradona is such a huge personality, such a huge personality. And perhaps I didn't even, myself realized the magnitude of it, even though he's been a very ever present in my life, really, and imagine in Argentinian people's life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having been, I was in Barcelona when he was at Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then of course, when, when, when Na starts being successful with Napoli, something we all follow, etc. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it could, in fact, uh, I had to read 39 books that have been written about Maradona. Oh, uh, the thing that uh, has uh, made it successful in, in, in outside Argentina and Spain, but funnily enough, also in Argentina, we'll get into that, mm -hmm. is that there is not so many international books on Maradona, apart from his two biographies, autobiographies, yes. Yes. Mm. which is him telling the story, which, you know, as, as you get, if you read the book, you, you very quickly get that um, he's, he's got a very twisted perception of reality. Sure. And, An uh, and a lot of it, uh, Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and if you want to hear his story, the books are there. But in English, you haven't got much more. Um, there's another book that was done in the 90s with a very uh, Anglo-Saxon kind of uh, look to the whole thing. So, you mm. know, Diego was a cheat and a drug addict. And blah, blah, blah. Was it written by Peter Shilton? And I yeah, tried to look yeah. This is the, this is the, the content I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried to, to make it from a different angle. And that's yeah. where, mm. um, actually, he has gone really well in Argentina because he's, he's, a, he's a foreigner but who understands Argentina more or less, mm. who's trying to tell them about their God. And I thought, it's like, in Argentina, nobody will want this book. But sure. on the other hand, they just cannot have enough of Diego. Uh, could, I, could I just ask, um, you, you talked about writing the book sort of quite, a, you, you began the book quite a way before he actually died. Was it ever your intention to spend some time with him um, before the book come out and, and sort of get his his sort of approach, his, uh, his opinion on it and, and sort of like see what he thought about it to confirm things or... Um, add to the book in any way? It's a, it's a good question because yes is the short answer. Uh, my idea was to, once I had it done, to go to him, uh, with the latest uh, club that he was in, uh, Gimnasia Esgrima, mm -hmm. and then tell him about it. But I also knew two things that worked against that, even though I was certainly going to do it. I was going to hand it over a, a copy of the book mm -hmm. to him before it actually went to print. One is that he'd lost it. He's lost it for a long while. 
Right. Uh, mm. uh, Pochettino went to see him when Pochettino was uh, uh, left Spurs, and he was in the door of the changing room, literally uh, saying hello to a queue of people that just wanted to be with him and take a selfie before a game, this is. And Pochettino thought, all right, I'll join the queue. And the queue eventually moves. Uh, and it's like when he, when Diego sees him kind of out of place, what's Pochettino doing here? I think mm-hmm. I know this guy. Oh, it's Pochettino. Poche, he eventually says. And uh, he says to Mauricio, look, um, tell me where you're sitting. And during the game, I look at you. And if there is something you see from the game, let me know. And I may just correct it down to your observations. And Pochettino felt so sorry about it. He said, look, uh, Diego, I'm going to actually be sitting at the other side of the pitch. You won't be able to see me. So, uh, you know, good luck with the game. And it was a very short conversation for somebody that they, them two have got a long, a long relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see then that his, his head wasn't fully there. Mm. Plus, he had an entourage, which was, as you know, if you're following the stories now, they kind of been blamed or at least uh, investigated for his death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They thought they were protecting him. And in fact, what they were, what they were doing is actually pushing him down into the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, doctors, nurses. So to get to him, it was even hard for his daughters because his number used to be changed by the people that looked after him. So wow. they didn't get close. Even his daughters didn't get close to him. They did eventually. Uh, but imagine having to go through all that, which would have been a part of the story as well. But mm. uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't to be. So that that was against. Um, well, not Maradona wasn't necessarily aware of this happening. That they were changing his number and things. It was a way of coercion, or uh, I think there's a there's 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 a, a mixed answer here. On one hand, uh, he had these people next to him because he wanted them. Mm-hmm. He always wanted people next to him, and he didn't always have the right people next to him. Did he know how bad they were? Um, Possibly not, because otherwise he would have reacted. But when they give you beer in the morning, so you don't bother them, your uh, perception of reality yet again it gets very, very blurred. Mm. And, and that's something which happened throughout his career, really, with the the perception of reality changing, especially mm. as he moves on from more one club to the next. Uh, kind of especially after Barcelona to Napoli. Well, it, 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 when he goes to Napoli, uh, drugs take take a of course, uh, yeah, you know. A big, big relevance in in, in his life. Uh, I think, as I explained, the first time he, he took cocaine was perhaps the last day that he was in Barcelona, the last night. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the myth, because there are a lot, of, a lot of myths that have been repeated about Diego, which I haven't been able to confirm, which is, sounds to me like they were just that myths. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one that that uh, I would like to kill is that he, he he wasn't he wasn't getting cocaine in Barcelona, basically. Yeah. Yeah. When he went to Napoli, it became very, very obvious. And then he mixed that with alcohol, which destroys your brain. And, and yes, uh, mixed with his addiction and bipolar personality, plus possibly he was chronically depressed as well. So there's a, there's a lot of things that didn't help him uh, see reality properly. So a lot of the time, he just basically had to create his own reality, or either get away from it or, mm. or imagine another perfect reality when he was mm. a kid. Or, or just, uh, you know, uh, go through what with whatever drug that was near at the time. And obviously, that's awful. It's the side of Maradona that, that we all know he was he was cursed by. However, at the same time, some of the some of the books more you know, the more memorable moments, the more memorable moments of his life are obviously when he's influenced by a lot of these things. And so they, they, you can't retell, really you can't, as you say in the book, you can't tell the legend of Maradona without going into these things. And 
I know Jack, you were very interested by a lot of the um, his branding and uh, how all the TV shows and stuff they made around him and all these things. Yeah, it's it seems like he was sort of from from your description of him, he sort of seems to be the first modern footballer in the sense that he knows how he has to be able to brand himself he seems to have his own like tv shows and and that's a really big part of his like legend because i i don't think i'd quite realized how short his career in europe was at the very height especially compared to you know if you look at messi and ronaldo now um like i mean how much was the was that branding so important to him do you think this is the part that i don't think has been told properly that he was the number one the first one at many things and you go back and he had a press officer like nobody else did. Mm-hmm. He had a physical coach, his own physical coach, which everybody does now. But not everybody, actually, funnily enough, they should. But not everybody has it, but a lot of players do. Yeah, uh, He was the first to uh, push a uh, trade union for players when players didn't even know they had rights. Mm. And he was the first one to tell us that the UEFA and FIFA were corrupt. Uh, and yeah. we thought he was crazy. I, I remember that perfectly. Ah, no, Maradona is just crazy. And look at look at uh, what's happened since. Sure. And yes, he was the first one to believe that uh, the star system that you saw in Hollywood with actors and musicians, uh, he he a footballer can can do that. And that was a mixture of uh, him wanting to be treated like a star and needing to be treated like a star, him seeing the potential, and his agent, his first agent, Jorge, Jorge Sister Pile, to actually also see ha- share that be- that vision. Mm-hmm. So they did crazy things like uh, started their own production company yep. or their own company related to Diego, Maradona Productions, which uh, which then went out there and, and got uh, commercial deals, some terrible deals that they did. Uh, they sold themselves really badly. But, yeah. but in any case, it, it was a completely new era. And also they filmed a lot. They, they had a cameraman with them, uh, partly in Barcelona, but mostly uh, in Napoli. Mm-hmm. And that, from those 500 hours of filming that uh, that are available, that's where Asif Kapadia got his uh, his brilliant documentary on on Maradona. He could yes. have chose. You could, could have done another movie or ten. Yeah. Did the, you have the, you have you trolled through all that material? No, oh, <laughs> not all, not be, all of it. Uh, I've seen some of it, uh, yeah. but it's it's a, somebody can dedicate their the, their time to it and do it. Yeah, as I say, another another movie. They, wow. of course, went to United States where they thought that they could sell that. Look, mm. best play in the world. You know, mm-hmm. Napoli winning things and World Cup and we're inside. Da, da, da. Nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. Wow. Netflix was not out there yet. It's a shame social media didn't exist. It'd have been a... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see there being uh, pros and cons to social media yeah. existing. I was going to say. I mean, obviously, it, did. it was it was around for some of his life, but for his playing career, perhaps. But, you know... Yeah. He- did you... I don't know if you follow his Instagram in the last few years, months. And I don't know if it's been deleted, but uh, it's it just tells you a little bit of what what situation he was in. Right. Uh, I've only seen him at Salt Bay's restaurant. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Where he's looking really impressed at some salt being put on his uh, uh, steak. I think he was the first with that, because I think he was the first footballer that I saw at Salt Bay's restaurant. And now they're all doing it. I saw Brian Hill was in it the other day. I saw... Reguillon was there. I'm a Spurs fan. Yeah, just oh, yeah. in case. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not just naming, uh, you know, fringe Spanish players. These are these are the ones <laughs> <laughs> whose Instagrams I follow. Anyway, as it is. And has has Koncheski been? I don't know if Koncheski's been, but we'll find out in Guillaume's mm. book when it comes out. I'm sure. Whether you had that. By the way, you may be losing me because he says my phone is overheating. <gasps> this is so exciting. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's going to explode. 
but I don't think you're going to be able yeah. to watch that. <laughs> so, um, we had a little bit of a problem there. Uh, it exploded. Yeah, yeah. You warned us it might happen. That you warned we us were, your phone might explode, and it did. So you're a man. We were work. joking. We were having a great time. Joke. Wouldn't, it be, <laughs> wouldn't it be really funny if Guillaume Balaguer's phone exploded and then suddenly it happened? It did. <laughs> and for a while, it was, it was it was more terrifying than funny. We were <laughs> very concerned that was the end of the interview, and then we were going to have to answer. We we'll get J- James to answer our questions about Maradona, but never mind. Yeah. It's all good. It's all, it's, it's all solved. It's all great. We're back. Guillaume's on his iPad. Perfect. But if the audio has changed a little bit, guys, that is why. Just in case anyone's a little bit concerned, go. Well, where's this ad? That's why. Uh, anyway, uh, I think we should talk about enemies. And friends, uh, which is something that pops up a lot in Maradona's book. Uh, James, I know this is something that fascinated you throughout. So obviously he was a complex character um, with like many adoring him and then others seeing him as an enemy in a lot of ways. Um, but he, was, he wasn't he was one to let things go. Um, and he always had, seemed to have a point to prove or had the idea of revenge in his mind when he felt previously wronged. So the theme of revenge does crop up quite a bit in the book. Um, you know, not being selected for the 78 World Cup when he was 17. Uh, obviously bringing down England so dramatically in 86 and as you mentioned uh, out in FIFA has been corrupt and UEFA um, so he seemed very determined to take a stance didn't he? Yeah he came out of, of his uh, district or, or of his quarters in, uh, in Via Fiorito determined to challenge everyone that stand on the way and to do that you have to have a very clear idea of what's right and what's wrong and in his mind he did. I don't think he always get it, got it right, but uh, but certainly he wasn't scared of uh, of challenging whoever, you know, calling the Pope and saying, you know, all these things that you've got in the Vatican, all this gold. If it was uh, sold, you cure the, the the you know the the the, the uh, poverty in the world. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't he didn't care. Uh, and you know what? I I do I do miss people like that. We're yeah. so peer conscious these days, and and he, as I said, he sometimes got it wrong, and of course you couldn't challenge him. He lived mm-hmm. in a world in which he was always right. But at the same time, when uh, when he likes to break and destroy the myth of Pelé in front of Pelé, or when uh, or when he actually just tries to um, tell politicians that they're doing the job wrong, uh, it's it's a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody does that anymore. That's, Maybe uh, Marcus Rashford, in a way. Yeah, true. And the Pelé stuff is particularly fascinating. Because uh, at the beginning, they have this. there's a few meetings with Pelé in the book. There's the first one, I think the first one where... Pele tracks him down when he's still a young player, and they have this meeting. Finally, get together and they they talk to each other. When when Pele ends up playing the guitar and singing, that's, that's right. The first one. And also, you say that Pele recorded an album for children or something. Is that right? Did Pele record an album? It's for true. Children? That is yes. yeah. bizarre. It's out there. It hasn't been digitalized, but it's out there. Yes, I, we're, okay. we're tracking that. Down. Is if there we... a re- is there a reason it hasn't been digitalized? Is it? <laughs> No, it seems to be with 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 uh, rights. I, I imagine because sure. it's the kind of thing that it will sell well, even as a freak thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll be streaming that on Spotify. But they um, he but then he goes to the next time. He, I think Pele criticizes him at the '86 World Cup. Uh, is that right? And then well, have- what happens is what normally happens with those that cannot get it wrong anymore and that cannot miss a chance anymore, uh, which is that they defending their own space. So Pelé, uh, when Maradona was picking, uh, make sure that put a lot of question marks, mm. you know, to be the best, he's got to show it and he's got to show it constantly and every time, because if he doesn't show it one day, I'll just catch him and I'll tell <laughs> everyone that he's not doing well. 
And that's a little bit what Pelé did. And of course, Maradona was very aware of that. By the way, Maradona does that to Messi, for instance. It's sure. just what happens. Sure. And, uh, and yeah, it, it, was a, it was a source of motivation for, for Maradona. But at the same time, once they both retired, it was quite funny to see that battle between both of them to see you know, who is the best in the world. It's like, leave it. You know, we, we want both of you to be remembered as great. Isn't yeah. that enough for them? It wasn't. There's a hilarious set piece in the book where they're at an award ceremony and one of them, they neither will go down an elevator to be on the same floor as the other one until the other one does it first. So they're just sat waiting <laughs> for ages and the, the whole thing, which would make a journey. Genuine... Are they like, everyone's really hungry. They just want to get on with <laughs> yeah. this. You have to just get down this elevator, please. And at the really end, they, he gives, Maradon's getting the award right and he gives it to Pele and then Pele's like, I don't know what to do with it. Something like that. It's like, you take it back. Oh, it's It's... It's it's really it's really really funny. But Genius, it, yeah, <laughs> it is. But I think that the enemy that crops up the most in the book and has the most space devoted to it uh, in there is uh, England and the uh, the England national team to be, to be specific. Even though you know England, you know with the Falklands and everything, does pop up quite a few times in there. However, England national team, you devote three chapters uh, to the World Cup quarterfinal in '86. And it's brilliant. You have a, a chapter of it on the first half, second half, and then the, the the post-match reactions, basically. And you go you go through all the players and the team and say how they were reacting to it. And I think it's is it poor Steve Hodge who gets uh, Steve Hodge who has his um he takes uh-huh. Maradona's shirt and doesn't realize what he's, he doesn't realize that Maradona's handed the ball. He's like, oh look, lads, I've got his shirt. <laughs> and they're like, okay. shut up, shut yeah. up, Steve. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it, it, it's brilliant. It's a it's a it's it's really it's- I. Obviously, it's to to an English audience. It's it's Maradona's most famous moment over here, um, but there's so much of it again that I didn't know about, and it really, it really as good as a book as I've ever read. Really, for it, it really hones you in on that moment, and you really feel like you're going through it, uh, kind of beat by beat. Yeah, what's what's interesting is that Maradona won that game, and of course he did those two goals. So he doesn't look back at that game as a, as a pivotal moment. It is mm. in many many ways. But I made it longer because of the audience, because yep. of course, uh, Orion is my, my my publishers, and sure. and they they are you know Anglo-Saxon based, yep. uh, and 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 I wanted to tell you what happened on on that game. Mm-hmm. But then it helps to then understand the the, the whole picture, the, how the myth gets created, how they uh, late years later look back at that game, and and that was uh, that was used to uh, to. Explain that, yes, of course he's a god. Look what he did. But it also, he's got so many, yet again, so many boys to read what happened there from, from the, hand of, uh, the hand of God, you know, what's behind it culturally. Uh, the, the, I had to somehow put there what Fernando Signorini, his first physical coach, said mm-hmm. to him, if you hadn't done it, you could have scored two goals in some other way. And by the way, you would have saved a lot of time to sociologists and psychologists and, and uh, historians of the game because yeah. they're still trying to justify it. Uh, but uh, but no, Maradona felt, look, I'm, I'm the rebel. I just beat the, uh, the, the the rich guys, the guys that, uh, you know, took, you know, that went to war with, etc. So fit the image that he had uh, mm. of himself and and how he related to the world and it seems like uh when there's a bit of a split i think you mentioned in argentina about uh whether um deception should be a part of the game or not but however there's a great line uh we've just read all four of michael owen's books uh and there's a there's a, there's a line about him uh in the book from i'm going to butcher the pronunciation i'm very sorry guillaume ezekiel fernandez mores 
Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Moors. No, the, the Moors. Moors is, is like it, an English. It is the anglicised version. English, yeah. oh, okay, sure, fine. Yeah. Um, uh, so he's an Argentinian journalist. He talks about. Uh, he says. Uh, he talks about Owen's dive in uh, France '98. He says, "Did we say that here in Argentina, Owen was representing the pirates, English villainy, the greed of Francis Drake and company? No, we didn't say that here. We considered mischief to be a natural part of football, a game of rogues, which." That is the best description of anything yeah. to do with Michael Owen. It's better than everything in the four books that we read. So it's, yeah. A game of rogues is not how I describe Michael Owen at all. <laughs> ah, the old roguish Michael Owen. <laughs> yeah. oh. I know in the book you talk about uh, how not everyone necessarily agrees with whether it's right or it's wrong the way through it. But Maradon doesn't care, really, does he? He's, yeah. he, he won the game, shrugs it off. No, doesn't care, but at the same time, he uses it. He uses yes. it to um, to fill his that that myth that that eventually gets created, and uh, and obviously allows him to say that uh, he was invited by Peter Shilton. No, he was not invited by Peter Shilton to his homage. And why would he go to a homage of a goalkeeper <laughs> anyway? <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. I mean, so it's, a, it's a good point, really. It is a very good point. <laughs> very like, good point. oh no, I he don't did, get to go to Peter Shilton's. He party. did go. He oh, did no. go. As Spurs fans still to this day talk about, though, he did go to um, Ozzy Ardiles' testimonial and play for Spurs, which was. Uh, very it did. It did. On that, by the way, on on that uh, on that game, and on his death, uh, I don't know why uh, somebody sent me a, a tweet that I put out when he died in reference to the covers of the English newspapers. Sure. How they still they still were talking. Oh yeah. On the day of his death, <laughs> about that goal, and it's like leave it. I mean, he was yeah. so much more. Obviously, again, tabloids create myths and, and, and create stories and for them he will always be the villain but on his death I mean yeah. it was a bit crass wasn't it yeah well, I agree I, I think it I, th I think it's such a part of English footballing history uh, in, in a negative way where it's like we've got to find the villain who who's the villain in our history and I think that's why people can't get yeah Jack but I, I, uh, oh, no, I mentioned no, no, the I'm truth not, actually yeah no, no, I know you don't agree, but uh, but just to, to those that think that that's worthwhile just perpetuating um, this idea that England or English people think that way. I asked uh, the 25 coaches that I had at Bigglesworth United, the, the club I'm chairman of, to give me in one word what uh, Maradona was to them. And these are mostly 30 to 40-year-olds. And no one, no one said shit. Mm. No one. Mm. It, was, it was genius, magnificent, yeah. magical, yeah. Uh, talented, not cheap. So I think maybe that narrative should be moved on a little bit. But, I agree. You know, you know, tabloids are always good to remind the, us of uh, our the, failings in the past. Tabloids yeah. love, absolutely love to to create that narrative. We've got enough mm. enemies of our own. We've made enough, you know, we've got enough yeah. play, players of our own who've cocked things up for us in the past. Like, we haven't got blame. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got blame. Maradona. Like Maradona. Yeah. Also, yeah, like the the fact that you're right, reducing the greatest player of all time to being like, ah, his hand, that's it. Yeah. The thing I find that's fascinating about that that you talk about in the book is the way that he had apparently practiced it or that he was like, mm. it was a, it's a conscious thing, which is really fascinating. And also like in old, not old football, but in football <laughs> before replays, it like completely makes sense. Like obviously you'd, you would <laughs> yeah. put your yeah. hand up and head at the same time and be like, yeah, yeah I scored a header. It's Why smart. wouldn't you? It's, it's, yeah. it's really uh, smart. More than, obviously he does it in training. If he doesn't reach there, he will do it. And, and that's, that said that it's instinctively mm -hmm. yeah but instincts come from education and from from the way you think about again yourself about the game about the rival about all that and it does tell you about argentina and it does tell you about latin culture mm -hmm. if you can get away and my culture too if you can get away with it do it 
Mm-hmm. And if you get caught, sorry, mate. I mean, you knew it was wrong. But if you can get away with it, that's that's something that is, I think it shortens our, well, goodness for sure, but certainly makes it, it makes those that want to cheat have uh, a longer life than they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be eradicated from our culture, but it isn't. It isn't. It, 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 it happens with tax. It happens yeah. with, with with stealing from others. It happens from from a lot of things that uh, that again the hand of God helps uh, perpetuate and is wrong. Is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's crazy that two of probably the two um, things that Maradona is most associated with, our most famous fault across like universally, happened in the same game. It's just within the space of like a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's mad. See this negative thing that that's still remembered now by the British mainly um, this this sort of cheat moment. But then what was also dubbed the greatest goal of the century. Yeah, it's crazy that happened in the same game. It's just mad. It's mad to me. And in that pitch, and I wasn't aware yeah. of that because of of course we we watched it on the television. I never looked at it in detail. And then Gary Lineker, but everybody else told me the pitch was a a, a potato field. It was terrible. Uh, and yet, he managed to come out with something like that. Yeah. Plus, they realized, didn't they, uh, Glenn Hollow, I think he was, was it Hollow? No, uh, who, uh, there was a foul before the beginning of his run with the ball. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that could have been given. That could have been given. And I found it, I found it the, uh, the take of the referee magnificent because, as we heard Mark Plattenberg recently, um, the referees have got such a huge influence on games. They mm-hmm. decide what kind of game it's going to be. They decide not only a foul, but if it's going to be a, a place where fouls are allowed, or where you know art is allowed, as it happened in this case, because he was fa- there was there was two or three fouls on the way to him finishing that magnificent goal. Mm. So the referee, another referee, a Spanish referee, <laughs> um, I w- would have said foul. That's it, end of the move, and he would have just you know stopped us having that brilliant moment. Mm. So we have to thank the referee for the moment too. I feel like you just get. You'd just get mesmerized by it, wouldn't you? If you were watching as a referee, just be like, oh, okay, just keep going. Just keep going. In fact, he did. Yeah. He did. He did. Uh, Because it's like, I'm I'm looking at something that I haven't seen and I haven't been part of before. He felt like that. And they became friends Mm -hmm. afterwards in a way. He came came to visit him, didn't he, I think? Uh, And he was presented with... uh, Yeah, in Tunisia. Yeah, in Tunisia. Yeah, and uh, gave him, presented him with a a picture of of them in that game. And uh, football does that. There's so yeah. many enemies that become friends. I mean, for Xavi Alonso to be managed by Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola yeah. in his career, it's uh, it's it's one of those that you think ah, it will never happen, but it does. Yeah, yeah. Fabregas with uh, with both of them as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's one thing is what again what we create and how we portray it and what happens behind the scenes. They're just professionals, aren't they? Uh, and they realize how hard it is and and how much in common they've got with uh, even their best rivals absolutely and this moves on to one of the last things we want to say about the book which uh, we've moved on to friends now so we know about you know uh, his relationship with uh, some 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 fairly dodgy forces in naples uh, but one relationship i knew nothing about at all uh, was how chummy he was with fidel castro this is something which, which blew my mind if castro went to his wedding was invited was invited to his wedding he, 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 but, didn't, go, uh, he didn't go to the wedding he, sorry he didn't no. make it he didn't Sorry. make it True. and yes um fidel suggested that when he was going through a period of recuperation, rehabilitation from his addictions to come to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did that. And of course, if, if you follow the story right now, uh, let's say that in Cuba, he didn't just rehabilitate. Yes. He also created a lot of kids. 
Yeah. And <laughs> some of them are, they left, they've kept DNA of Maradona. Uh, so in the near future, if there is more kids that want to be named and recognized as Maradona's kids, uh, there is the possibility of, of doing that scientifically too. Because he, yeah, he, uh, he had a lot, of, uh, a lot of female friends in that time. Sure. Uh, is this so, but is this the same when he went to Cuba? Was this when he had the audience with Castro? Was that before? Because there's a moment where I think my favourite part of the book uh, when yeah. Fidel Castro yeah. meets Maradona and he's obsessed uh, by uh, about asking him uh, how you take a penalty so much so that he's taking notes whilst Mar- whilst asking Maradona and then as Maradona leaves in the car, Castro kind of chases after the car and says, "Wait, wait, wait! What was it you said about the penalties again? Something like that." <laughs> the image of Castro. when you are the head of a nation, you never know when you have to take a penalty. So I think he just was preparing himself. Exactly. I mean, if only Diana Ross had asked Diego Maradona before taking that penalty at the <laughs> World Cup '94. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, good point. That's that's a very good. good point. Or, or she'd ask Fidel Castro. She, she yeah, that's true. Yes. Fidel Castro watching at the time, being like, "Oh no, don't do it like that." <laughs> Diego's advice. <laughs> true. And there'll be more from Guillaume after the break as we find out just how we too can write a footballer's biography. See you then. Hi, we're Football Book Club podcast, and we need your support. Now, let's let's drop the appeal music. Hi, everyone. James here, and I just want to tell you about the brand new Football Book Club Club which you can join to receive bonus weekly episodes, access to exclusive member events, and your very own Football Book Club book book bookmark, all for the same price as a used copy of Darren Huckabee's 2007 book, Hux. So if you enjoy the podcast and need to hear more afterwards, head to patreon.com forward slash football book club. Enjoy the episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, Guillaume, you've written books about Ronaldo, Pochettino, Messi, and of course, Maradona, as we're talking about today. Uh, and when we say books, we mean extremely thorough historical essays. Do you read many footballers' autobiographies yourself? No. Okay. No, <laughs> no, um, no, because I know how they work. I yeah. know how they yeah. do them. Sure. Because well, we got we some know. recommendations. We so uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you do. By the sound of it already, I know you do for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, no, I read a lot of literature. Uh, and I think um, for those that have followed me from the beginning, from a season on the brink about Liverpool to, to now, mm-hmm. I think they may realize that I'm, I'm adding more and more literature to it because. I'll, 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 I will love at some point to write fiction. Yes. And uh, even, for instance, in the first book, there was there was a chapter I had to negotiate with my with my agent, with the translator, and because they were like they're like, but this is not possible. Which is chapter eight, in which I only had quotes of people as if they were sitting around a table talking about halftime in Istanbul in the in the Champions League final. Yes. And I did it in a kind of uh, dynamic way, so it looks like people are interrupting each other. So I create the fiction without saying it that they're all together telling that story. There was a little bit of a little bit of literature there, but um, as I as I progress, not to get bored myself of the same story of you know, kid comes from difficult background and mm. becomes the best in the world. I uh, I add literature, but interestingly enough, I'm not sure Ryan. Uh, will mind. I hope they don't mind me saying this, but we can always cut it. Yeah, you can always cut. It. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm actually when I'm writing, I'm doing two books, uh, and that's why it, it takes even even longer to do because I write in Spanish because I had a really I had a really bad experience of the Pep Guardiola book when it was translated. I wrote mm-hmm. it in English, was translated into Spanish. It was really really bad, so ah. I had to rewrite it for two months. Ugh. So then I thought, okay, another way of doing it is I write it in Spanish. I've got my own uh, translator who we work together. Then I edit the English version. But when you start editing a book, it grows in a different way. Mm. So it's like having t- twins. Interesting. Um, yeah. The Spanish version goes to Argentina, goes to Spain, and, and of course goes through his own editorial process. But uh, the English version when 20,000 words beyond the plan and the English version is the one that's been translated into at the moment 12 languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, by contract, you have to do 120,000 words. That, uh, that's what they told me. Uh, and I did 20,000 more. So I had to take 20,000 words of the English version compared to the Spanish version, which is exactly as I wrote it. I thought this is too hard to me. So I thought to the publishers, just suggest something for me to take out, something that doesn't work in English. And funnily enough, the most literary part of the book that are in Spanish are not in English um, uh, because it doesn't fully work. Ah. I did a little bit of magic realism, uh, an homage to Cortázar, to Borges, um, that didn't fully work. About ah. I can tell you the story because uh, yeah, Juan Funes was a, a player that, that was uh, in the national side with Argentina. And at 29, he developed a heart problem. And he was in hospital for a long time. Uh, and while he was in hospital, he had a he had a dream and told his wife, I need to see Diego, I need to see Diego. He was in hospital, didn't even know if he was going to come out of hospital. I want to see Diego because I dreamt that he was going to buy me a car, a Mercedes, uh, and I want to talk to him. So Diego gets told, knows that he's ill, goes to hospital, grabs his hand, and uh, Juan tells Diego, 
car, the car, the car was red, it's a Mercedes. And and Diego says, Don't worry, don't worry, Juan. I've heard about it. I've already talked to somebody. When you come out of hospital, you will have your red Mercedes. And as he was saying that, Juan dies oh. as Diego's holding his hand. So the story's been told from Juan even from the beginning, even after, because he says at that point, and I died there. And wasn't it great that Diego got everybody together and did a homage to me, where obviously my family was present and raised money for my family to pay for the hospital bills. And now they've got a street in my name. And I think Diego came to see me in, in the cemetery once. And that's a story. That's one chapter. Oh. That read in English didn't fully work. That was taken out of the, of the book. And, and I, I think it doesn't work because you are too logical. Hence, you create <laughs> the industrial revolution instead of magic realism. Right. And, uh, and in English, it doesn't fully work. And I understand that. So we took that and a couple of things more of that uh, caliber. Uh, so it's like two different books in a way. Wow, so, yeah. that's so interesting. It really is. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. God, that, 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 if you, only we yeah. weren't so logical. You made us yeah. sound like automatons. <laughs> yeah, we're, so, we're so boring. Well, this cannot work. This did not happen, Guillaume. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope they don't mind me saying this story. No, no, Because no, I was very proud of it. And the way I wrote it, I was yeah. very, very proud of it. But uh, I think, yes, I say, I think it works better in Spanish. I, I mean, you do love okay. chucking in quite a lot of classical allusions and stuff throughout the book, which, again, is something which we're not particularly used to. No offence, like... I know Gary Monk, he didn't pop too many of those in, but that's not, that's not his fault. That's not that his fault. would have been it's, an amazing twist in Gary Monk's <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. It, it, it was it, like, talking about the classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Turns uh, out I had died 20 years previous to this <laughs> FAW meeting. Um, yeah. we, we, it, it, it's interesting you go back to the, the idea of having writing too much at the same, same time, because that is something I wanted to ask. But also, we spoke to Tom Fordyce, who tends to ghost writes a lot of autobiographies of footballers. But I, I, was, I wanted to know how you go. He told us how he went from beginning to end. He sat, sits down with the player and does it, unlike the Maradona, obviously, which was a bit different. But how, how, how do you usually do it? What, what is the, what, if you can talk us through in a simplified beat-by-beat beat way of how you write a book from the beginning, we'd, I'd love to hear. Let me, let me say that I've been invited to do uh, an autobiography for the first time, and I'm thinking Ooh. about it. Uh, I'm putting one condition, because uh, it's an, an amazing story for one of the top, top, top players of our lifetime. But I said, only if he tells me the truth. So we're kind of negotiating that. Um, wow. If he tells me the truth, yes. And obviously they, they have to fully approve that, that, that they, they're happy with me, but uh, they got good references and it may happen. But if it does happen, you know, I cannot tell you now, but uh, you'll know this, we'll, we'll uh, have, this we'll, is what I made reference. We'll have the Paul Konchesky story. Yeah. <laughs> please, please, Paul Konchesky, tell him the truth. <laughs> Just be honest. Yeah. Um, and in, uh, how I do it, uh, basically, I'm a storyteller. so. I need stories and I need enough ingredients and enough stories to actually tell the bigger story. Yeah. Um, and it's about research. It's about going to places. It's about talking to people that were close to them, talking to, to them or using this, the, the time that we've been together. Also that helps, uh, with Messi, with Ronaldo, with, with Rafa Benitez and the Liverpool book, with Pep mm -hmm. Guardiola. We, we had moments in private, in public, uh, there were interviews face to face as well. And then, because uh, I've got this fear of being found out. I don't know if he's got a name now, but uh, you know that fear that many many seem to have. And I thought I was on my own, but I overwork, I overproduce, I over mm -hmm. over research, and uh, and when I eventually get down to writing, and I realize that you know every chapter has got 
80 pages of research and has to be converted into 10 pages or six pages or whatever. It's like, all right, breathe deeply and let's go for it. But um, it's just, um, there's no other secret from me because I, I don't think I'm a talented writer, uh, but I think I can tell a story uh, based on, on a lot of research. And, uh, and that's why I like, I like to put together things that I, I say that I find out, but others that tell me to and help me find out and explain the, the, the person that we, we're dealing with. I think Jack's going to say the same thing I was. I, I, we, we, you're, you're a very You're a very good writer. writer. You're a very talented writer, Kim. Yeah, you don't want you to very talented. <laughs> that, there's, a, there's a bit in this book. I'm not I just fishing for compliments. I know, I know you are. Really, really we, 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 there's a bit in this book that made me them. laugh out loud that I've just remembered where you're talking about the uh, commentary for um, for Maradona's second goal against England. And it's this amazing bit of commentary. It's sort of like, this is incredible what's going on. He's the, like a little kite soaring through the, uh, soaring through the oh, sky. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. I, I love it. And then at the very end of the paragraph you just wrote little kite <laughs> <laughs> it really made me laugh i was like what was that it's very funny yeah it's, so, it's a very famous commentary very famous commentary from a very 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 famous commentator that uh, that he he felt uh mixed feelings about what was going on uh the, the, sorry that's that's a good goal that's a good goal no, yeah. no he described that really really well but the other one the the hand of god it was it was with a hand but you know it's England, so it's <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. More or less, it's commentary. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. So, so the bulk of your writing is editing, really. It's it's turning or or turning these notes into into the stories. No, yeah. Uh, um, obviously, the the most enjoyable part is 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 once you've got the notes in order, and I've got people. I've got uh, Maribelle Russo, my right hand man woman and uh, I just keep sending her stuff that I read or that I thought or or lines that I want to put in mm -hmm. imagine the amount of stuff it just it just goes that way and interviews and she transcribes them etc uh, and then she puts them in order in the order that I've decided the structure of the book to be uh, and then as I said you know I've got 60 80 pages whatever I have to convert them to six or seven but the first part is okay let's stop Let's just, I know all this that's coming and I know I'll have, I'll have everything I need to say and it's all there, but what am I saying? And then that, you know, go for walks and there's, there's a key moment where, where it just, you find, ah, right, I got it. This is what I, what I want to say. And then you start writing and then you start bringing the notes in. Uh, always thinking that you have to entertain the reader. It's not just a, um, a mathematic thing. So you mm -hmm. put these notes together. People will read it. No, it has to be entertaining, uh, and it has to entertain me first. So that's uh, that's a little bit the the process, not the usual process, I don't think. But uh, mm. anyway, it works for me. And, and the traveling side is fascinating as well, because, like you say, yeah, and and as you mentioned a lot in the book, you do go to the places, which I don't, I, I don't know if that's a very common thing with that, but it definitely brings everything to life massively. It should it should be because I, it absolutely does yeah, bring yeah. things to life. And what I do, because my, I don't have a job it, you know my <laughs> life is a holiday and uh and i what i tend to do is when i do those things i you know two weeks in argentina let's go uh, yeah well, let's do it for new year's eve uh william Maribel, uh brand uh you know tony just come with me all right let's go and uh, you just go on holidays and you know a lot of the time that means that they have a great time yeah <laughs> while i'm just having to go for interviews or whatever but we do that together the first one i did that was for the uh for the liverpool book i uh i basically was called like a 
seven o'clock in the morning in, in Istanbul the day after the final. And I had just gone to bed, <laughs> having been going out with, you know, with Xavi Alonso's family. And it was a really, really special night, obviously, Liverpool fan that I am. Yeah. But um, but then seven o'clock in the morning, right, we need to do this book and it has to come out. Like, you have to have the, the, the draft by August and we're in May. Um, I thought, okay, well, let's do the interviews over the phone because everybody will go on holidays at the end of the season, obviously, which I did. And then thought, mm, I'm going to hire a house in Mallorca with a pool I'm going to invite my family and friends and they're just going to come over and what I'll do, and I haven't done this since, but what, I, what I'll do is I'll go, I'll get up at one o'clock in the morning, in the afternoon, just to have lunch with them and have the afternoon with them, go to the pool and then go to the beach and then go for a night, a bit of a night out at midnight, I leave them on their own and then I work for seven hours, go to bed, wake up at 1 p.m. It kind of killed me, but it's really good fun. So I mixed <laughs> holidays with, with, with business because that is my holidays. The, I- you know, I work 24-7, so that's that. I really have fun with that. And anyway, when we went to Argentina, when we went to Napoli, I did not go on my own. I went for, I went for fun too. So you're kind of writing a book is a very fun experience, it sounds like. I mean, that sounds like hell getting the notes down to uh, some of my pages. But, you know, if you get to do it in a, in a, in a via... I get ill every single time. <laughs> uh, so it's not, it's, not, it's not fun. It's not fun. Um, uh, I enjoy it. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's a part of, of my career that I didn't know it was going to take off. We all thought we all think we had a book in ourselves, but but you know, I don't know what is it now, six, seven, eight. I can't remember now. Um, because I include the ebooks as well that nobody's read, two of them. Um, so I get so much into it, and I don't know how to do things half, half-heartedly. I get ill every single time, and uh, and generally it tends to be at the end of it. So when it's all more so more or less done, which is which is good because it takes me two or three days to recover from that. In which case, we won't try and pitch to you um, to write our book about our fictional footballer Andy Crab. I think I feel like I feel like that could be a, a step too that, far. That will end time. you. Having to do a story about a person who doesn't exist in the first place—that might be too hard. Oh, I heard. I heard. There's a big story. Yes, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a big guy. He's a, he's a real. Yeah, you're missing out. Like quite a storied career. <laughs> I'm going to really move, quickly move us on to our last segment. Guillaume, you have a, uh, a segment on uh, your social media called uh, Coffee with Guillaume. Uh, and oh, yes. we've got a little feature we're going to bring you, just to ask you a few questions, called um, Tea with JB. <laughs> so uh, we're all the JBs. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that good name, guys? You happy with that name? Eh. Ah, that's not that's too fine. Great. We should call it. What was the guy who sent in the uh, the uh, the question? Or they sent in the? It was like old man. Uh, old Crabtree. Old Crabtree. Old Crabtree. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. <laughs> Tea with old Crabtree. Uh, so, um, I, I, we had a few little questions. We only got a couple of minutes, so we'll try and um, mm-hmm. run through these quickly. Spurs fan, cards the table. As I mentioned, you and you and Poch are pretty tight. Was he ever close to coming back this summer? <laughs> I, like, I like that giggle. <laughs> He's under contract. Ooh. The, a lawyer's response. Where's your magical realism now, Guillaume? <laughs> <laughs> so that means a bit? Whatever you want to mean, okay. <laughs> you can't okay. push it. I can't push it. I can't push it. But that, you know, I'll take some comfort from what I interpret that as. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm happy now. We've got Conte, which is which is nice. But um, yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, you must have talked to you. You must have had an incredibly busy summer, Guillaume, with all the so many players you wrote books about 
Uh, like Ronaldo was on the move. Messi was on the move. Poch wasn't was on, on the contract. Rafa, yeah, of course. There's, you must have been asked mm-hmm. to do so. Are you tired out from having to do that? Uh, one thing that my brain has helped me to develop my career uh, is that I don't remember things. So if you tell me I was busy, I probably was, which okay. is good because <laughs> yeah, I remember one thing that I was on my way. Uh, I was driving. Uh, I flew to uh, London and uh, or Manchester, Manchester, I think, and uh, I was driving to Edinburgh because I always get lost in the in the in the fringe. Yeah, I always had six seven days. Um, I got a little dream of one day, you know, have my own play there, and maybe one day. But uh, oh, I go, Kim, I if, go if you need if you need help with like a comedy routine or like <laughs> yeah. flyering, like we've Do all you know done. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, hey, <laughs> I'm putting this we down. Just, Sorry, we could do a double act together. <laughs> Oh, that'd be so good. Because guys will just help me with the <laughs> French play. Okay, you, send, you send us your notes, right, we'll turn it into happen. the play. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, we'll, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, and then it was like, oh, I need to go to Paris. I need to go to Paris because mm. uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's like, but is, this is my week where oh, I need to go to Paris. So I had to cancel hotel and everything. I drove to Paris. And uh, it was a good idea to do because I, I had the chance to speak to uh, to Leo and uh, in, a, in a kind of five minute slot that we were given uh but because i kind of went a different angle and talked to him about you know if he remind this reminded him of his first move from argentina to spain and then about his kids and everything he kind of went viral and uh and probably will go into the cbs documentary that we're doing as the second one after i worked for cbs about the champions league so right all in all you do things you don't know why you're doing them but uh but it came out really good on that on that occasion amazing that's. It, it, I mean, I'm glad that you've had a moment, though, even though you might not remember it. It sounds like you have been very busy, so it's good that you've had a moment mm. to sit down. But we, just we, think we, of the fringe shows you could have seen instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's not fair. I know. Um, a few questions for other people. We had a lot of people ask about Biggles Wedge United, who you mentioned earlier. Um, we had Matthew Brazier, Follow the Trawler, sent some questions about that. Follow the Trawler said, this is going to be a tough question to answer, but what gives you more joy, writing, being a pundit, or being chairman? Chairman. Ah. Okay. No doubt. Mm. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it comes on the back of uh, we lost 18 games in a row. We just go on our first game of the season last weekend. That's the men's first team. The ladies are doing really, really well. And uh, and yeah, uh, it's been a very, very tough year because the FA moved uh, the first, the men's first team from leagues. So, you know, the, the power players all mm-hmm. left, all of them. And this is on the back of two years where we're about to be promoted, but COVID stopped the league. So that that made life very very hard and very difficult. Um, but then you look the ladies and they progression really well. And this is a project that we started not not so long ago, four years ago. Plus the uh, youth, the academy, also kind of establishing itself as a as a good place to uh, for kids to come in. And you know the volunteers keep growing. We've got a media department. I, I, we were in Sky Sports News today for a four and a half minute slot. We had um, Gary Cottrell coming over to the, to our ground, the Kitch Hospice uh, Care Stadium, and uh, and we were introducing our latest signing, which is Ansu Fati's brother, Brian wow. Fati, who uh, oh, twenty four cool. year old, who rescinded his contract with Barcelona two months ago to come over and, and stay uh, stay a year with us. Uh, and that's the kind of club it is. I mean, I feel a sense. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That a lot of what's happening in Britain now is about closing doors and not opening them. And uh, in our very, very, very tiny little way, this is a place where everybody's welcome. And that yeah. means everyone. So we, you know, women's football has to has to grow and has to be protected and looked after. Um, 
people that want to come over as coaches because we had in the period that I've been at the club since 2014, we had Spanish coaches, Italian, South African from the United States, players of all kinds as well. Uh, and that's that's what uh, the club is about, is, uh, is inclusive. Uh, we uh, we also had uh, Dave Nash, the number one graffiti artist in the UK, okay. uh, who is local, and he was doing a, mur- a mural of, um, of Marcus Rashford and and Emma Hayes, who I found out is the first uh, the first one that is, and she was very humble oh, and cool. and happy that that we did that because also they rep- they they're role models, aren't they? But yeah, they represent also what we're trying to do, and uh, and that is so rewarding when you have an idea what you want to do, and then people embrace it and f- feed from it and help it grow. There is, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. And of course, results have been bad. As I said, um, ha- all the players left apart from one, George Harlow, who I love. Thank you, George. Um, everybody else left. Yeah. Uh, but guess what? Six of them are coming back. And uh, that will be our six best players of last season because they changed their WhatsApp group from let's go to Kempston or whatever they were going. To let's say Beaglesway United, oh, so wow. it is amazing. Honestly, it's really, really because I was talking to one of them, uh, the, the the striker Charlie Clayton. I said, well, well, "Why did you come back?" Oh, we couldn't get Beaglesway United going down. As you can imagine, in the table we had, uh, I think it was fourteen games, zero points, and we lost ten one, nine three because we started using under eighteens and under twenty threes and players that weren't good enough, but they were the only ones we had because we appealed and the season started almost as. We heard the appeal, etc. It's been really tough, but they're coming back. Uh, so you know, football at that level, it's not just about winning and it's not just about money. Mm. So it was very, very good to see. Well, we spoke to um, Spencer Owen of Hashtag United uh, a while ago. Uh, remember last year, wasn't that, guys? I think we spoke to him, and he yeah. similarly. Who, who can tell anymore? <laughs> you can tell anymore. Yeah, at some point in during the pandemic, and it's similarly so uh, so passionate about it, and it's, it's re- it is really great to see that this this level of enthusiasm, and I guess. Is it, is it less stressful than the writing the book side of things? Uh, no, I, I, I deal well with stress. I don't mind it. Uh, okay. it, it it's a motivator. It's a good. Uh, it's a good petrol. Uh, and yep. and this is. I mean, I've, I've seen people crying uh, in the last few months, crying and and stressful and and unable to sleep and 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 unable to eat that kind of thing. Honestly, because once you're involved, it's the biggest thing. It is the biggest thing. Uh, but for me, it's not just the result of the weekend; it's the, it's the whole picture. And uh, and I, I, I look at the, as I said, the amount of volunteers are growing, and more people coming to the ground. And and Dave Nash does a mural for us, and, and Brahim Afadi comes and joins us, and Sketch Business comes in, and and I'm just wow. But yeah. I'm telling you, to the three of you, if you had two hours of your week, just two hours of your week, and you have a local club, give them two hours of your week, mm. and it will come back. Um, with much more that you'll give them, I, I assure you. Jack, I think your local club is Tottenham, actually, isn't it? I'm pretty no. sure. Even there's an Arsenal fan, I'm pretty sure they're the closest not, club not to where you are. Yeah. Okay, I know. I, hey, Chelsea of City for life. They're my boys. Uh, you part of Tottenham. Uh, but yeah, carrying on with some other questions, uh, we had uh, a couple. Rasath Sandrew asked, uh, "Would you ever write a book on Marcelo Bielsa?" Uh, he, he was interested by, and then he also asked a second prong question. After that, which was, can Xavi emulate what Pep has done uh, uh, at, at Barcelona, being part of that DNA? So, one, one a bit more contemporary, one more uh, a possible a possibility. On Xavi, no, he won't emulate it because it's impossible to copy the best team in the world ever. 
yep. uh, and uh, and a team that changed history. Yeah. But uh, I think he's got good foundations to be a coach that will bring success to Barcelona in the medium term. Let's not expect too much uh, too early. In the case of uh, Bielsa, I had the plan to do a Bielsa book, and then I realized that somebody else was doing a Bielsa book, and he's is ah. much better placed. He lives there, and uh, and the Ascom are really really good as well. So I uh, I said no, I won't I won't do I won't do that. Uh, okay. And instead, um, instead, I can't tell you yet, but uh, it's the one that I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Ah, so we, okay. yeah, we, we know we know who it is. Don't we figured worry. it out. We figured it out. Yeah. That, 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 that's, <laughs> yeah. it, it it does sound that 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 that's, that's very exciting. So I was going to ask if you're working on something else. Um, but uh, cool. How, how far? Very, how... Uh, very early stages because we 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 decided on the subject, and then we went like no. And then now we're thinking maybe. And I got a meeting on Monday with uh, with my editor, and my uh, my uh, agent, and we may just um, go for it. But meanwhile, you you have to start conversations, uh, of course, and, which I've done. So nothing written, nothing. So, no, so Maribel has got any notes yet. But uh, very early money. stages, very early stages. Of yeah. This. Very okay. Early. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll keep. We'll, we'll watch this oh, space. No. Watch this space. If you need titles, uh, sound the conch. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst title I ever yeah. had. <laughs> Even the well, ones that we had. That not, is... if, not if it's a comedy book. Yeah, yeah, true. Hey, yeah. whoa, hang on. I only this whole thing it is Paul Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, one last question I was going to ask, uh, which was sent from Tash, who's normally on the show with us. She says, uh, "Guillaume, how do you pronounce your name in a Stoke accent without offending you?" I think she was very concerned if she came on that she was going to mess Stoke it up. Stoke accent. I can I can do Liverpool accent if I spend an hour there because that's where I learn my English. Okay. But Stoke accent, no idea. Impossible. Impossible to do. That's the answer. For, uh, no you, will, you will always offend him. Yes. Yeah, Don't even bad. try. <laughs> She's a very offensive person. Anyway, um, the book is out now. Maradona, the boy, the rebel, the gods. It's amazing. It really is a great book. If you love football, if you if you love books, it's, it really is a brilliant book. We all loved it. Uh, make sure you go out and buy it. Thank you so much for coming on, Guillaume. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really has. A pleasure. I, I really enjoyed the last four hours with you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not, our, our, our phone didn't explode. It's not our fault. Uh, please, um, please do, whenever, whoever you're writing the next book about, please do come on again uh, when you've done that and we'd, we'd love to chat to you about it. If you enjoy the show, do join the Football Book Club club by heading to www.patreon.com forward slash footballbookclub. Uh, there's loads more to catch up with on there. Anyone has any thoughts on this episode or any questions for us, follow us at Footy Book Club on Twitter, Football Book Club on Instagram or on our Facebook page. We'll be back in a fortnight with the excellent comedian Maisie Adam, who'll be reading Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's autobiography, Jimmy, with us. Guillaume, thank you. Any last words, anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a beautiful way to so end it. Sincere. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I really thank you so it. much. Uh, much us much, too. Guillaume. Us too. Thank you so much, Guillaume. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Football Book Club. It featured James Bug, Jack Bernhardt, James Balgen, and Guillaume Balagay. It was produced and created by James Bug. The book Maradona, The Boy, The Rebel, The God is out now through Orion Publishing. Make sure you check it out. The theme music, Hills Behind, is the work of Silent Partner and is used in the Creative Commons 4.0 license. We'll see you in a fortnight. Until then, bye-bye. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.